Well, happy Father's Day. Has anyone said that to you this morning? I'm the last one to the party, aren't I? Yeah. Uh, we could say, we could say, Makarios Father's Day. Anybody get that? We've been in the in the Beatitudes. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a it's a great day, and it's also a d- tough day for some. And I always like to just, uh, whether it's Mother's Day or Father's Day, just to remind you. I, I loved uh, that song. All my life, you have been faithful, even in in that broken, fractured family in which I grew up in. <clears throat> Basically, my birth father uh, abandoned me. Maybe I'm like you. I know what it's like not even to get a birthday card from your father. Maybe you're in that point. But God is faithful. God is faithful. And uh, God sent pops into my life when I was about nine years old. So God helped to redeem that. And I miss him. I think this is the third Father's Day now without him. So... I understand that as well. Many of us do. So we do want to say happy Father's Day and realize it is tough for some. I I have a verse of scripture I want to share with you. David actually mentioned it, but it's from Psalm 68. This is not the sermon. This is the pre-sermon. Psalm 68, 4 and 5 says this. David, it's a song lyric. He's given it to the choir director, the Bible says, and he says this. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. I think we just did that, didn't we? Exalt him who rides on the clouds. His name is Yahweh. And verse 5. A father of the fatherless and a champion of widows is God in his holy dwelling place. So we do say happy Father's Day to you and we acknowledge our good, good father in heaven. Well, today we arrive at peacemaking. I've been waiting for this culmination leading up in this progression. Uh, For some of you, this is going to be a hard sermon. I ask that you would just stay with me, okay? Stay with me. We're going to be in Matthew 5, 9, thinking about peacemaking. I'm going to start off with a question. Anybody ever heard of a fellow named Alfred Nobel? Some of you have. Alfred Nobel, he's dead, by the way. Alfred Nobel was a brilliant chemist, did you know that? And left a portion of his will establishing what we know as the Nobel Peace Prize, which reads this way. Here's what it's supposed to be. One award shall be given to the person who has done the most or best work for fraternity among nations, for the abolition or reduction of standing armies, and for the holding and promotion of peace congresses. You can tell that was written in a different century, can't you? But you've heard of it, right? The Nobel Peace Prize. But here's what I want you to share about it. I find it a bit ironic, at least to me, to note that the founder and the funder of this prize of peace made his fortune from his patents. You'll recognize at least one of them. Patent on dynamite. Oh, it gets better. The blasting cap which revolutionized dynamite, and even ballastite, which is a smokeless nitroglycerin powder. Now, if you want to know more about ballastite, there's some scientists in the room. Talk to them, not me, okay? But nevertheless, and these things started out and were used and revolutionized construction. But then they also became used in warfare. And think about that for a minute. In fact, in his later years... Uh, historians state that uh, 
Alfred Nobel apparently developed strong misgivings about the impact of his inventions on the world. Now, I share this story simply, it's not a political statement, I share it simply to show how fuzzy and confusing peace and peacemaking can be. Do you see that? The, the conflicting emotions that even the guy who started the Peace Prize had. And so even to this day, it can be fuzzy, confusing, and even difficult for some people. We hope to define that today a little bit more. So today we continue our blessed journey. Uh, Makarios, you'll remember that. That's the word for blessed. It means satisfaction coming from God, not from just happy circumstances, not from good luck. By the way, thank you, Lord, for that moisture outside, right? We need to add one more verse. We know we can't add to Scripture, but blessed are the New Mexicans who receive rain, right? Wow. Yes, makarios, it's this deep inward joy. It's this special type of contentedness that's not altered by circumstances. That's why I could stand and raise my hand and sing about the faithfulness of God. In spite of things that happened in my life, God was still faithful. I can still be blessed. I can still have that contentedness inside. So remember our progression as we get going. we really culminating here a little bit. We started with the poor in spirit. That's spiritual poverty, and there's no hope on our own. That we have, we have to recognize that, that uh, we need the Lord. And then we mourn over our sins specifically and other sins. And uh, it's true repentance that needs to come into our life, which brings about meekness. We said that was uh, strength under God's control. All this develops new appetites. And one, they, we hunger and thirst for all of God's righteousness. And then he is the one who develops mercy in our life. And last week we saw that, that being, being merciful leads to the purity of heart. And now we arrive at peacemaking. Let's read the first nine verses of Matthew chapter 5. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, because the, king, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, because they will be comforted. Blessed are the gentle or meek, because they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, because they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. I may have messed up verse 5. I'm not sure. You go back and look at the tape. Blessed are the gentle. That would be meek. I don't know if I said something else there, but it would be meek. So we look at verse 9 today. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, I've been praying that you would touch our hearts today. That you would prick us that you would speak to us. God, I, I'm praying that today would be a turning point in our church family. So God, we ask that you, as you speak, as you are present in our lives, as your spirit dwells in us, that we would be open and receptive. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So I thought a good thing to start with on uh, Peacemaking, or blessed are the peacemaker, is how about we identify what a peacemaker is? Okay, so I'm going to give you four identifiers, all right? 
You'll have to write these down. I don't think I have the sub-points there in your notes. The first one is, uh, what's a peacemaker? It's one who has, they're going to be P words, by the way, one who has personal peace. You might jot that down. This is the first identifier of a peacemaker. It's, it's a person who has personal peace. The title peacemaker comes from the Greek word for peace, which is irene. We'll remember that from our study in the fruit of the spirit, irene. But more common or more noteworthy or known by more is in the Hebrew language, we of course know the word is what? Can you say it? Shalom. You can go tell someone I spoke Hebrew in church today, all right? Shalom. You see, in Hebrew, peace means shalom. It means the, yes, it means the absence of trouble, evil, and conflict, but also it gives us the idea of wholeness, overall well-being. So in the Middle East, when a person says shalom to someone, it's not like we would flippantly say it today. When they say that, that person is wishing the enjoyment of all good things as well as absence of trials and burdens for that person. And I'd like to say it this way, this first identifier. Maybe think about this. It is very difficult being a peacemaker when you're in personal turmoil. Now you think about that for a minute. You, you may have a great desire. Man, I, I want to be blessed. To, I want to be a peacemaker. Look, you've got to have personal peace to be able to do that. Very, if you are in turmoil, don't go out on a limb and see it sawed off because you, you, you have this turmoil and you're trying, you're trying to make this peace. Okay, that's the first uh, identifier. It's an overarching one. The second one is personal pursuit. So one who has personal peace but then one who knows there's a personal pursuit. The scripture tells us that God's blessing is on the peacemaker, not necessarily on the lover of peace. Did you hear me? This is the first thing we have to take and make sure we understand. That's different than our culture. The scripture does not say blessed are the, pa- are the pacifists. It doesn't say that. that. God's blessing is on the peacemaker, Not necessarily the one who's just a lover of peace. You see, being a peacemaker is not appeasement. Don't worry, thinking I was going to tell you today, you just need to roll over and play dead. So there will be peace. I don't know how many marriage counseling sessions that I have led where someone is just going to roll over for the peace. That's not what a peacemaker is. Did you see the word, blessed are the peace? Makers. That's an important word to look at. Maker shows us a dynamic word of pursuit. When you see that word maker in the scripture here, you need to think about pursuit and it's dynamic. The Bible refers to a peace that does not come from avoiding problems or concerns that demand attention. But the peacemaker is a pursuit. Here's here's what needs to happen. Here's the prescription we should have. We face whatever that is, we deal with it, and we work on solving that as God works through us. Now let me just stop right here and drop something on you, and we're going to be evaluating throughout the sermon at the end. Some of you have an issue that goes back decades. That ought not be. 
You are not a peacemaker if you haven't faced whatever that is, dealt with it, and in the best way possible, as much as you can, as your Lord leads you, solved at least your side of it. Are you clear? Is everybody clear on that? I don't need to give examples, do I? We don't need to have testimonies right now, do we? But right in our family, there are some folks that you can't be a peacemaker when you haven't dealt with something that happened in 1968 or 88 or last week. Okay, I'm feeling better already, guys. <laughs> Let me illustrate this with Scripture, though. This is not just my opinion. Romans 14, 19. It's a command, Romans 14, 19. So then... Summarizing all those verses before, we must pursue, there's the word, we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Ephesians chapter 4, the first three verses of Ephesians 4, Paul speaking, therefore I, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you, and you know this part, to walk worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another, but let's hear this phrase, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. You hear that? It's not every issue that binds us. It's not things that aren't a hill on which to die, but the unity of the Spirit that is that peace that binds us together. I'm your brother. You're my brother. You're my sister in Christ. So we want to think about that. A peacemaker. We can identify a peacemaker according to scriptures. One who has a personal peace is dealing with that. Uh, is pursuing it personally. Number three, pain and purity. There's a couple more P words. Pain and purity. The peacemaker is willing to risk pain and not let things slide. My wife is wise. If I've heard it once from her, heard it a dozen times, is it worth the fight? Think about it. Or are we just going to slide by? And I know it's Father's Day, but guys, sometimes we're good at letting things what? Slide by. Why? It's a great book out there. It says men are like waffles and women are like spaghetti. Women, it's like spaghetti. Everything's tied together. We're like waffles, guys. We can what? Compartmentalize. Can you do that? The world may be falling apart, but I'm going to work. No problem. I can lock in here, all right? Don't let things slide. There's a risk involved. It can involve pain. So that's what a peacemaker does. A person who's a peacemaker is also honest with himself, with herself, with, with God and with others. How can that be? Because there's purity involved. Being a peacemaker, there's purity of motive. So hear me. This, this sermon is not to make you go out and do something to manipulate someone or just because the preacher said so. There's got to be purity of motive. Scripture for you. This is the word of the Lord, an indictment from the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Jeremiah 6, 14. Listen to what he said about those folks. They have treated my people's brokenness superficially, claiming peace, peace, when there is no peace. Troubles? Oh, no. Peace, peace. Not dealing with it. 
Instead, we should do this. If, back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Ephesians 4, 15. We should speak the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Now, let me just say one thing about that verse. That's been taken out of context. I'm just speaking. I just destroyed you. I just verbally eviscerated you, but I'm speaking the truth in love. Now, look at the whole scripture. You speak the truth in love. Doing this, you're growing in every way into Jesus, and he is your head. You're not going to eviscerate someone to do that. You see the difference? But we, we, we need to look at that and realize there's pain involved in peacemaking, and there's purity of motive that's involved. And then number four, there's a price, a price to be paid. There's a price to be paid. It's not easy. Again, Jesus knew exactly what he was speaking about in best sermon ever when he's doing this progression. We go through a lot of things before we get to peacemaking, don't we? In the Beatitudes. You see, the peacemaker must be willing to pay a price. And church, I want to tell you something. We can do it. Why can we do it? Because Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example of a peacemaker. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. I want you to read this this week. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, speaking about Jesus. For God was pleased to have all, talking about Jesus, his, his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself. Well, how did that happen? Are you ready? Here's the price. By making peace through the blood of his cross. There's pain in the process. Jesus shed his blood on the cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. I want you to chew on that. We have an example. Even if it's painful, we have an example, Jesus Ephesians 2.14, the first phrase, just simply says, I love it, summary, for he is our peace. He is our peace. So those are some identifiers. Surely there are more, but this is enough for us to go ahead and make and take an inventory of our lives related to peacemaking. And I would ask you to start now. I, I won't be offended if you are praying or if you're beginning to do an inventory or examining your life. I'm happy that you would begin to do that right now. Let's move on to point number two, peace robbers. Probably not good English, but I didn't want to say Steelers because then all the Pittsburgh fans would get upset with me and dissing their team and all that. Peace robbers, number two. We have one overarching example, and of course you know what that is. The number one peace robber is overarchingly sin. Here's a strong statement I want you to hear today, church. Until sinful behavior is changed to righteousness, there cannot be godly peace. Listen, you can pray all you want about godly peace in whatever that situation is. Go ahead. I'm for prayer. But you know what? Until the sinful behavior is changed to righteousness, you're going to get the answer to that prayer. And it's going to be, oh, not now. You got work to do, buddy. Man, we are so blinded sometimes by our sin in a situation and instead of dealing with it, hungering and thirsting for all of God's righteousness and watching the great exchange that God can do, turning that sin into righteousness, oh, is that not powerful, church? We'll just keep praying. We need peace in this situation, Lord. 
Just rain your peace down on this situation. Come on now. Remember the progression through the Beatitudes. Sin stains everything. And strife follows sin. Have you stepped outside the doors of the church lately? I was just in Southern California. Let me tell you something. Sin stains everything. Woo! And strife follows it. Two verses from Isaiah to help us. Isaiah 48, 22 says this. There is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. Who are the wicked? Sinners. Isaiah 59, 8. They have not known the path of peace, and there is no justice in their ways. They have made their roads crooked. No one who walks on them will know peace. We've got work to do. The biggest peace robber is sin. Number two, it's arguing. Well, why would you list that? Because Scripture talks about it, folks. In the listing of the qualifications for elder pastors, you familiar with those terms? 1 Timothy 3.3. It's a famous list right in there. Boy, we, we lock in on that one. He is not addicted to wine or pugnacious. I love that word. You think about that for a minute. That's all, that's all you people say. It's just the way God made me. I'm just in your face. Mm. No. You're not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. Now, usually when we look at this passage, we see the alcohol angle, don't we? Sure we do. And we see the greed angle, but let us not miss right in the middle of that qualifiers, and it applies to elder pastors, but I think it applies also to Christians who read God's Word. Listen, don't miss being peaceable, that's the word, versus being quarrelsome. Or pugnacious. You see, one task of Christians that is often overlooked is that the Christian is to help resolve conflict, not start more of it. I thought I'd get an amen. I thought I might get an amen. Let me read it again. One task of Christians is to help resolve conflict, not start more of it. Too late. <laughs> Too late. Man, you ever been around that person who just stirs it up all the time? He is not my buddy. I'm not going to go play golf with him. I'm not going to go hang out. I'm not going to go see a movie. I'm not going to have dinner together. Why? I don't want, I, that's just not a task of Christianity for me. You see, church, listen to this. We cannot run around with a chip on our shoulder looking for fights and arguments. Some Christians have this tendency. Do you? Some Christians go around, and I don't know where they got it, but they got this, not a chip, a rock on their shoulder, and they're looking. They're parsing words. Have you ever done that? That happens to me every Sunday. Someone will parse my words. Right? No. No. Don't go looking for some argument or some fight. Let me ask it to you this way. Is it most important to you that you are always right and everybody better know it? Where does it say, blessed are those who are always right and they're in, their, in everybody's face letting them know about it? Man, 
I, I feel like in, in this century, American Christianity, some of us have taken this turn. It wouldn't be right, it'd be left, wouldn't it? Have taken this turn, like I'm right about this, and you better line up behind me, Bubba. You better get in line. No, that's not what a peacemaker is. Now, I was at the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, annual meeting this past week. That's why I was in California. I wasn't watching a baseball game or going to Disneyland. And I saw this played out. Listen, the SBC annual meeting would have been perfect if we could have taken 10 guys and shown them the door. Just say, oh, sorry, sir, I don't, I don't recognize that church. You can't come in. Because they had to wait one up to two hours. He waited to get to a microphone and push a button and be able to go all over everybody. Two hours. I was sitting right by microphone. I think it was 4A. And I watched this guy. Don't quote me. See, don't parse my words. It may not have been 4A. I don't remember. But he stood there. We were worshiping. He was standing there. There was a good sermon. He was standing there. There was some business. We were standing there. At another time, another guy was standing at another microphone. As we commissioned 52 missionaries to go in the deepest, darkest Muslim parts of the world. 52 young families going. And he's standing at a microphone. Why? He had a chip on his shoulder. Someone made a, it was either a motion or a resolution and a guy got up, are you ready for this? And he, he wanted to do amendment to it. He was parsing words. He was offended by the phrase of that sentence. And then a guy got up, are you ready for this, church? He made an amendment to the amendment. And at that point, I said, Lord, help us. And we were two hours behind schedule because of all that. I say all that because I just experienced it. But I want you to know something. A great robber of peace is this arguing, quarrelsome Spirit, this chip on the shoulder, this I'm right and you better line up. Listen, we better be right about the gospel, right? The good news of Jesus. Uh, we better be right about that and we better be able to fellowship with people. We better be able to share our testimony and our witness about the gospel of Jesus. But some of these other things, we get to where we're parsing words. And church, you may be right, but you know what? It is not your job as a Christian to inform every person on the planet of whatever this little thing is over here that you're right and they better get in line or they're a second-class citizen. Are you hearing me? Let's be right about the gospel. We better move on. That was the sermon within itself. Number three, the third robber, is anger and bitterness. Let me illustrate in this way. When your Taco Bell order is missing a chalupa, <laughs> don't get angry and literally climb through the drive through window like the 270-pound University of Kansas football player did. True story. So angry, because the chalupa wasn't in the bag, he began to climb through the drive through window. You know what the problem was? He got stuck. <laughs> the news story tells us that the frightened manager employees, the man, they, he was angry. They went and locked themselves in an office and called the police. And the police showed up, and there was this big boy stuck. <laughs> Let me say it this way. Our anger will get the best of us. Would you agree with that? We've all experienced that, haven't we? Our anger will get the best of us, and our anger will make us stuck. It really will. And let me go on to bitterness. You see, the effects of holding a grudge are numerous. Okay, now I'm speaking to a subset of people this morning, either online or right here. 
bitterness, holding a grudge, it's numerous effects. Medical research has shown that emotions like bitterness and anger can cause problems such as headaches. Did you have a headache this week? Backaches, allergic disorders. Medical research shows that there's some people running around with allergies, and you know what? It's because of bitterness in their life. Ulcers, of course, we know that one, right? High blood pressure, even heart attacks, more. Listen to what the Bible says, Hebrews 12, 15, as you think about anger and bitterness. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness is like a taproot that goes way down. You know what I'm talking about? That no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble and by it defiling many. I think that last phrase is so instructive. That's what bitterness does. It, it, anger and bitterness spread. Have you noticed that? Anger and bitterness vomit all over people in our lives. And they're innocent bystanders, but they get it. They get it. They get it. Let's move on to the fourth robber. It's worry. Simply put, worry robs us of peace. And I'm going to read a verse of Scripture, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. And I've come to the conclusion that there must be many Christians who don't believe this verse. You know, you talk to Christians, right? We're people of the book, aren't we? The inerrant, infallible Word of God. Man, every verse, every word is important. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that some Christians believe these verses. See if you do. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So that at the proper time, he may exalt you. And here it is. I don't think people believe this. Casting all your anxieties. I use the ESV version because that's the word it used. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Some folks need to try that. You have so much anxiety, fear, fretting, whatever synonym you want to use, that you have not done that. It's a command. You're supposed to cast that on the Lord because he cares for you. Psalm 55, 22 says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. There's a promise. He's going to sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Well, there are perhaps more robbers or stealers, but we've got to stop there because we've got to move on. Point number three, what promotes peace? You know, I desire to be a peacemaker, don't you? Well, well, how can we do it? Six items, quickly. I'll go fast. Number one, they all start with an L. Look to God. Look to God. You, you, you want to become a peacemaker? Do you have that desire like I do? Look to God. 1 Corinthians 14, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. That's where you got to start. It's that simple. You must start with God. You cannot do it on your own. Number two, language. Language is important. Listen to Proverbs 15.1. You've heard it many times. A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Listen, language is important in peacemaking. Look up sometimes J. Frank Norris. Actually, a book was written about him just recently. I'm going to get and read. J. Frank Norris was a leading fundamentalist preacher in Texas in the first part of last century. Boy, did his words ever tear down people, J. Frank Norris. Here's just one of his sermon titles. Are you ready? Would you come to church on this Sunday? The 10 Biggest Devils in Fort Worth, Names Given. 
He was all about doing that. Wow. You see, harsh words do not promote peace or reconciliation. Harsh words don't accomplish anything. Number three, learn. Learn to pray for peace. King David knew, Psalm 34, 6. This poor man, he's describing himself, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. We've got to learn to pray for peace. You see, our flesh is weak. We're good at praying for material needs, church. We're good at praying for physical needs, church. But do we often pray for spiritual needs such as peacemaking? Number four, lead with selflessness and sacrifice. Romans 12, 18. Some of you Bible scholars were wondering when we're getting to that verse. Well, here we are. Lead with selflessness and sacrifice. It's a simple command. If possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. It doesn't say roll over and play dead. It doesn't say the other party may not want to play. They took their toys and went home. That's okay. But as is possible for you and me on our part, live at peace. Matthew 5, which we'll get to in a couple months, Jesus says, but I say to you, here's the ultimate peace statement, I think. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Enough said. Number five, lock on. Lock on to God's word. In the great Psalm 119, that longest psalm, uh, every verse is talking about God's word. In verse 165, it's stated this way. Those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. So let's lock on to God's word. And then the last one, number six, lovingly seek forgiveness. Lovingly seek forgiveness. And another passage in the best sermon ever, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Matthew 5, 23 and 24, we'll get to pretty soon, is this. You'll remember it. Jesus is speaking to these folks. It's revolutionary what he's saying. I can just see their face. They were like, how do you know? So if you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother, Christian, has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer the gift. Now that's a hard verse for a preacher to read because we want you to give your offerings. <laughs> you know, we want, we want to do that. But it's so important that the, just, just leave it and go be a peacemaker, and then come back to it. And I wrote in my notes, come on. Do you know what that means? It's a theological term. Come on. My, my former colleague in the Kentucky Baptist Convention, when I was doing convention work, Bubba Stewart, yes, from Kentucky, about 663, I don't even know, okay? He always would say, when some, instead of amen or man, that makes sense, he would just say, Come on. I can't do it. I don't have that accent. Come on. And that's what I would say to us today. Look at this verse that Matthew speak, uh, Jesus speaks in Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Leave it and go make peace. Come on. Let's do it. And let's move to our fourth and final point. And that's the second part of the verse, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. So peacemakers are called 
children of God, sons of God. I'm going to explain that in a minute. It's not chauvinistic. But what I want you to see, this is not how you become children of God, being a peacemaker. There's some liberal folks out there who call themselves Christians or in certain churches, and they think, just if I make peace, that makes me a Christian. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture does not say that's how you become a child of God. That can only happen, we know as we, revival, as we read our Bible, it can only happen by receiving Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord. Amen? And you know it, First John, First John, John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, that's how it happens. If you're here today and you're not sure how it happens, you have to come to a point in your life where you agree with Scripture that we're all sin and it separates us from holy God. But God had a rescue plan. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we can turn and mourn over our sin, repent and run to God, and by His grace, He will save us. We can ask forgiveness, and He will come into our life. He will transform us. That's the gospel. That's what we believe. Uh, truth, what does that mean? It means trust. I place, I, I place it all in your hands, God. Save me. When that happens, he gave the right to become children of God. But this verse says sons of God. So let's think about that a little bit more. The Greek does literally read sons of God. The word is huios. It's a typical Hebrew way of expression. The Bible does not always translate well to English. Are you aware of that? If you've taught the Bible for any length of time, you know that. Brilliant people translate and do their very best, and different versions come out, and version comes out, and they are the the man and woman hours involved in translation is unbelievable, but it's hard to get exactly right. You see, sons of God is a Hebrew way of expression. Hebrew is not rich in adjectives. Often, when the Hebrew wishes to describe something, it doesn't use an adjective like we would. It uses the phrase son of some abstract noun. Son of this, son of that. Maybe you've seen Simon Bar-Jonah in your scripture. That means son of Jonah, son of this, son of that. Okay, so in our context, a person may be called a son of peace instead of how we would say it. That's a peaceful man. Okay? We might say today, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be doing a godlike work. The person who makes peace is actually doing the very work which God is doing. So we have that word, huios. We also have the word in the New Testament, technong. Okay, that is child. Speak, both of those speak to the believer's relationship to God. And technon, child, if you would, it's, it's a term that is tender. It's the tender affection as to relationships. What a great word for today, right? For Father's Day. Sons, however, come from huios, which, not that tender affection, but that expresses, it's not so much a male-female thing, but it expresses the dignity, the honor of the relationship of a child to his parents. 
I know what some of you are thinking already. You have learned a new word, and you're going to share that with your children all week, aren't you? Huios. Huios. Yeah. But it's, that's what that picture is. It's, it's profound. That relationship that I have to parents. So as God's peacemakers, we are promised the glorious blessing of eternal sonship. Can I use that word? S-O-N. Eternal sonship in His eternal kingdom. He is our Heavenly Father. We can have this dynamic and dignified and honorable relationship with the Father of all creation, the Lord Himself. Peacemaking is a hallmark of God's children. A person who is not a peacemaker, I've deduced, either is not a Christian or is a very disobedient Christian. You see, the person who is continually disruptive, divisive, quarrelsome, should, this is a pastoral plea, take a look at his or her relationship to God altogether. Because it ought not be that way. And I, church, I want to tell you, it's time to examine. Now let me just say a couple more things about the construction of the verse here. I think it will help us as we close. The pronoun here is, and I know we talk a lot about pronouns today, do we not? Oh, man. Okay. The pronoun here, though I'm not doing that, is emphatic. Do you know what that means? It gives the idea that they, look at it. Because they will be called sons of God. It's, it's emphatic. In other words, they and no others will be called sons of God. We'll have that, that relationship. You see that? Hmm. Something interesting to think about. It's also in the passive voice in the biblical language that indicates that God, it's God who assigns the title sons. We don't. It's God who does that. The peacemaker partakes of the character of God. That's how I would say it. Think about that for a minute. The believer, the true believer is like God in the way he or she lives. Blessed are the peacemakers because they, only they, will be called sons of God. Can I just say this way as we close? Nothing compares to being a child of God. Amen? Nothing compares to being a child of God. Are you one? Let's go a step further. Are you also a peacemaker? Let's pray. God, I pray for those who cannot declare today that they are children of God, a child of God. I pray that you would penetrate their life right now, that you would make it clear to them that you are the God who rescues and that you can change their life, give them purpose and meaning, change their life even for eternity. God, I pray that people would ponder that. Pray for Christians. We're not perfect, we're sinners. But that we would do all that we can do to live in peace to promote unity, to do the things you called us to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.